A Noble Experiment by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 5. Bishop puts out a contract on Bill Brady. Sidney Bishop was in his private office behind the main office. He was dressed in a tuxedo and entertaining several female guests when a buzzer sounded. He set down his drink and excused himself as he went to the intercom. Yeah, what is it? Mr. Bishop, gotta let me in. Who is this? Is this Pete? Pete, is that you? Please, Mr. Bishop. All right, Pete, come on in. He answered, pushing a button abruptly as a wall panel slid open. The dark-skinned man rushed into the room. Mr. Bishop! Pete, I hope this is important, he said, walking across the room. Mr. Bishop, bad news! Bad news? That guy Brady! Brady? asked Bishop. Did he get away again? Brady just shot Salvatore. He killed him. Bishop stopped. Picking up his drink, he walked over to the window overlooking Lake Michigan. He spoke in a slow, raspy, saddened voice. You will spare no expense, Peter. That man just killed my brother. Tipped the glass and swallowed the entire drink. He turned around, smacking his lips. I want Bill Brady dead. The rubbish truck proceeded down the highway. It traveled for close to an hour before it turned onto a bumpy dirt road. Brady, who had been sleeping since Chicago, began to stir. The rubbish bounced all around him as he opened his eyes. Slowly he rolled over through the mess, his light blue suit stained with blood and gunk. He grabbed at the sideboard and lifted himself upward. Oh, you're a lucky one, Billy boy, he said plainly as he looked across the countryside. Everything had changed. To his left was an interstate highway where the truck had just turned, and to his right the dirt road continued through the grasslands. The driver shifted into a lower gear as he pulled the truck up a small hill. At the crest, Brady could see a sloping, wide stretch down to the landfill dump. In the background was a startling view of Lake Michigan, its blue waters hugging the horizon. The view was a pleasing diversion from his thoughts, but the truck was slowly approaching the checking station. Brady ducked into the refuge once again. When they had passed the station, the driver waved to the attendant. The truck turned right, heading along the dumping pit. He waited for some time, perhaps close to a quarter of a mile before he stood. This time, however, the ride was over. He crawled over the sideboards and jumped to the ground, hitting the dirt with a thud. He got to his feet as the driver brought the truck down into the pit. Brushing the garbage from his suit, Brady looked around the dump. Here he stood in the middle of nowhere and was at a loss as to what he should do. He put his hands in his pockets and trudged to his right up a man-made hill composed of rubbish and sand. Off came the smelly suit coat. He plopped himself down and looked across the deep waters as he tried to put his life back together. Hours passed and the high, hot sun of mid-afternoon became a burning orange fire over the interstate to his rear. Despite the passage of time, he was no closer to a course of action than when he had first left the truck. One of his options was to turn himself into the authorities, as there might be a possibility of suspending charges, even the murder charge. After all, it was self-defense, and that was debatable with the authorities, but self-defense and cold-blooded murder drew little distinction in the eyes of Sidney Bishop. His brother was dead and Brady had killed him. Brady shook his head. There was no way the charges would be dropped, he thought, nor would they suspend his sentence. 
His whole life was doomed. Doomed just when he was on the verge of finding a crack in Von Grunkel's smooth organization. And a large crack at that. Murder. Couldn't let such an opportunity slip by. All those years, watching the man he considered an utter fraud. Watching him fool the public and become a renowned celebrity. He was getting close to halting Von Grunkel, but was now surrounded by forces that were seeking his own neck. And sooner or later, they would succeed. This, in his bottom-line opinion, left little time for investigation. He kept shaking his head as he looked back toward the pit. Despondent, helpless, and so alone, he prepared to run at any moment. He heard a radio blasting behind him. In a sudden jerk, he turned and saw Lorna holding the transistor radio. Lorna! he exclaimed as she approached him with the radio. He bent down and hugged her. She set the grocery bag down and looked at him. You're all right, aren't you? Yeah. How in, How did you find me in this godforsaken place? I have eyes, you know. I read the name on the side of the truck. I found the address and called. I asked where they dumped their stuff. Then I used the money I had left over to get a bus out here. The driver let me off up the road. Unbelievable. You're a genius. You'd make a damn good reporter. I could take your place. No, 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 you don't want my place. Then you know what happened back there. It's been on every station in the city. You need to get out of here, Brady. Oh, it's all over, Lorna Dune. I'm not going anywhere. No way I'm going to get out of this one. You still have time, she told him. Get out before they trace you up here. It won't take long, you know, she said as she reached into the grocery bag and pulled out his blue notebook. Here. How did you get a hold of that? Oh, I was reading it on the way to the store. You really are after this guy Von Grunkel, aren't you? Yeah, I'm after him, he said, taking the book. Maybe I'm just losing my mind. Warner, I had another one of those blackouts in the truck. You were on the horse again. Yep, with good old Hank and the kid, back in the saddle. He smiled, but it wasn't funny. Was it the same as before? She asked as if she were trying to probe his mind. Picked up right from the last one. He was talking about the war, how bad it was, trying to tell that to the kid. But the kid saw something in the sky, and then it ended. It's crazy. I'm losing my mind. She just stared at him, and then she spoke. Brady, let's get out of here, she said, looking around. It was now late in the afternoon. It's all over. You listen to me. Don't play that sorry for me routine. You got yourself into this every step of the way. Your only chance to survive is to leave the country right away. I thought you'd be turning me in. Yeah, if you didn't kill that gangster. And if you don't leave soon, you're a dead man. Let's go to San Francisco. Oh, sure, kid. Yeah, no problem. No problem. That's where your time capsule is. My time capsule? <laughs> what makes you think it's my time capsule? Could be a hundred different Brady's, and so what if it's mine? Money. You said it yourself. Oh, I was mouthing off. You sound like an adult, I swear. You're 12 years old? I don't believe it. I'm 12. I was just mouthing off about the money, kid. I ought to learn to keep my mouth shut, he said, pausing, and he looked at the darkening lake waters. Then he finally spoke to her, still looking ahead. So what do you suggest? Get the money, purchase a passport, and quietly leave the country? Exactly. I was only kidding. Well, I'm not. Look, Warner. You don't seem to understand. I'm a dead man. Oh, 
okay? There's another reason why you should go on. Yeah, and what's that? Von Grunkle. Grunkle, he'll have the last laugh now. No, I called David Todd this morning after you left. No one ever heard of him. You did call David Todd. That's right. Doesn't surprise me nobody ever heard of him. I thought that would get your blood moving. Well, looks like he was telling the truth, and I'm sure that you called the right number. I called twice. I talked to some man named Gunther. Ha, <laughs> Gunther. And Gunther told you he knew nobody by the name of David Todd, correct? That's what he said. Ah, oh, that cinches it. Then you'll leave? Yeah, I have to leave. But I'm going to go to Boise first, he said as he arose and, and brushed the dirt off his pants. You mean we'll go to Boise, she insisted. How can I risk taking you along? You need me, Brady, just like I need you. I know the risk. But you're just 12 years old. So what? I know what you've done. Besides, I'll follow you anyways. Yeah, I suppose you will, he said reluctantly as he bent over and picked up his suit coat. He reached outward for her to lead the way. They walked down a hill and onto a dirt road that didn't pass by the checking station. They begin hitchhiking to Boise, Idaho. Join us next week as a noble experiment by Robert P. Fitton continues. This has been a production of Fitton Theater of the Word.